Chris Perry. WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor, WCBN.org. Grabs on to attempt it for the Wolverines. Holds her breath, Ann Arbor, as the bar gets set. Places down, kick is up. It's long enough. It's good! It's good! Michigan wins the game! Michigan shocks Washington, and the Wolverines are victorious! Every experience is a learning experience, including LSD. There's no such thing as a flashback, Danny. You need to get a job so that you can curb this free-form anxiety of yours. WCBN FM Ann Alba. It's free-form! 88.3 on your toaster! Yes, and you're listening to the radio, not your toaster. Welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley, and Jim is off tonight. Lucky bastard. He's going down to uh, Joe Louis Arena to watch Game 4 of the Red Wings Anaheim Playoff Series. Just a brief comment about the situation involving Albuquerque. Uh, I think the penalty was a bit excessive. Perhaps a game misconduct, even that's debatable. But suspending him for two games, don't get it. Um, sometimes when uh, a physical player hit, collides with another physical player, they, the, 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 the head getting snapped looks worse than it really is. That's my one point. I don't think he delivered a blow to the head. Um, and I think it's debatable whether he, quote, left his feet. And because Justin Allocator is a very young hockey player who really came into his own this year, one of the key players down the stretch in terms of getting the Wings into the playoffs, and we should remember that it was quite an accomplishment just for the Wings to make the playoffs. Obviously, they had a lot of new personnel, a lot of young players, a lot of new players, and they had a lot of injuries, and uh, for the Red Wings to even make the playoffs for the 22nd consecutive year this is a continuing professional sports record that the wings keep adding to and i don't see why it won't happen in the future when they move to the eastern conference next year this is quite an accomplishment and uh, it may in fact be one of mike babcock's best jobs of coaching since he's been here in detroit obviously tonight's game will probably be the do-or-die factor in the series. Um, so we'll see what happens. But uh, go Wings, and uh, I'll give the NHL a brain damage award. I don't think they looked at the play closely enough. 
Obviously, the player was in a somewhat of a vulnerable position, but hockey is a physical sport, and I've seen many, many worse hits uh, that have not garnered two-game suspensions, uh, particularly in the playoffs, and particularly uh, because uh, this whole play, it's going to turn out, may well determine uh, the entire series. Obviously, if the Wings bounce back tonight, um, then it's a best of three, and anything can happen, and the Wings will have yet one more home game if they win tonight, guaranteed, one more home game. So uh, we should uh, congratulate the Detroit Red Wings uh, for what they've accomplished this season, uh, given all the adversity that they've had to deal with, and uh, hopefully they'll come out on top. Now... uh, couple of uh, things over the weekend. Let's give the NRA a brain damage award. They had a convention down there in Texas and doing about, uh, it's interesting about the backlash that's actually occurring uh, against some of the senators uh, who are not representing their constituents as they claim uh, regarding background checks and uh, reasonable uh, restrictions on gun control. Um, it's interesting that uh, the senator from Arizona, newly elected Jeff Flake, and Kelly Ayotte uh, from New Hampshire seem to be the two senators that are uh, being uh, targeted the heaviest. And I think that this public opinion pressure needs to continue. Uh, there is nothing unconstitutional about the proposed legislation. And the fact that the Senate is continuing to obstruct a bill that 90% of Americans want to see passed. It's not even red states. In many red states, the the public polling on this issue uh, is uh, 79% of people even in red states want to see this, 72 to 79% want to see this bill passed, and uh, it needs to uh, go forward. Uh, and I think as we're learning more about these uh, young men in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, there's just further reason uh, for a reasonable uh, background checks regarding gun sales. I'm even in favor of waiting periods. Um, the older brother in the terrorist attack never should have been allowed to own a gun, period. End of story. He had committed an act of violence in his career earlier in his life. He battered his his wife or his girlfriend. It's a little unclear uh, who he battered. Uh, she might have been his girlfriend at the time and later became his wife, or it might have been an entirely other woman. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. This fellow d- does not belong. Uh, it, it, we're not infringing on his constitutional rights to... Uh, uh, um, uh, restrict uh, gun um, guns, and I will just read a letter to the editor uh, that was dated March 21st of 1986. Uh, I have an enormous file on gun control because this has been an ongoing uh, concern of the Gray Matters team for many, many years. Uh, We don't think that reasonable gun control is a restriction of the Second Amendment, and we are in favor, by the way, of uh, uh, restricting ammunition clips and this sort of thing. But I want to read some amazing statistics. These statistics, of course, are from the 80s. They have changed a little bit. The homicide 
uh, numbers in the United States have gone down slightly. But this is a comparison of civilized nations, Western nations in the world regarding handgun homicide statistics. And by the way, this is handguns. And this report was issued by the Washington Report of Handgun Control Incorporated, statistics for 1980. This letter was sent to the New York Times in 1986, comparing um, uh, homicides around the world. Get this, get these numbers. Great Britain had eight homicide deaths. Japan, 77. Sweden, 18. Switzerland, 24. Australia, 4. Israel, 23. Canada, 8. The United States had 11,532. That is, that is just a staggering comparison. The writer of this letter, Joseph T. Shutt, notes, and I'll quote from the letter, when the combined mean average of handgun homicides for the seven other countries is compared to the United States average, the handgun murders per 100,000 population in the United States is 77 times that of the other seven countries combined. Wow. And, and I mean the number, 11,522. Uh, it's just uh, remarkable stuff, and it, of course, demonstrates that even in 1980, more than three times the number of people were killed with handguns here in the United States than died in 9-11. And look at what our government response was to 9-11. We created the Department of Homeland Security, uh, that seems to still have some intelligence-sharing flaws, uh, given some of the uh, reporting coming out of Boston and the uh, the marathon situation there. We That, that uh, department, by the way, has a budget of $80 billion, which is uh, much higher than the State Department's budget, for instance. Um, we've spent several trillion dollars on the wars in Afghanistan and uh, Iraq, and we continue to have public officials advocating that the United States get involved in the mess in Syria. These people are insane. Uh, they need to be uh, treated for mental illness, uh, and they shouldn't be allowed to have guns, by the way. Um, the problem is they're sitting in the United States Senate continuing to obstruct reasonable legislation. And, you know, why John McCain is allowed to appear on television every single week uh, advocating crazy policies that are not in the United States' interest is beyond me. So we'll give him yet another brain damage award for his foolishness regarding Syria. And, of course, uh, the Syrian story was heavily in the news last week. We have disputed reports about chemical weapons and their use in the the uh, Syria uh, area. It's unclear whether the chemical weapons were used by the rebels or uh, the government of Assad. Uh, further investigations are underway. And, of course, over the weekend we had some military uh, strikes um, by uh, Israel against Syria uh, in which they 
rightfully or wrongfully claimed self-defense regarding uh, armaments uh, headed to Lebanon and Hezbollah. So further uh, investigations, I think, need to be held on that uh, realm. Uh, over the weekend, of course, we had continuing slow but steady progress in the job uh, reported, let's see, in April. More than 200,000 jobs, nearly 200,000 jobs, excuse me, were created. And the unemployment um, rate is down to its lowest level since the end of 2008. Uh, George W. Bush was president in 2008. The push and pull dynamic pointed out that the private employers added 178,000 jobs and that, um, excuse me, 176,000 jobs. And um, the public sector shed an additional 11,000 workers. So the private sector is creating jobs. Government spending is continuing to contract. It's a little unclear if these uh 11,000 public sector jobs are part of the so-called sequestration. And in addition, uh, the uh, Department of Labor up, uh, upped the jobs that were created in February up to 332,000. Not the original 268,000 as reported, and 138,000 in March, up from 88,000. So the economy is continuing to make slow, steady progress, which is really the way we need to go. We don't need to worry about high rates of growth. The American economy is so enormous that uh, growth rates in the 2 to 3% uh, range are more than adequate. And it's quite clear that the housing sector is, uh, is improving, though there are obviously some regions where there are still some difficulties. Um, but... Uh, Let's, uh, let's uh, stick with the program, as they say. It's interesting to note, by the way, and uh, from a re recent Harper's Index, I wanted to report this. It says, percentage of U.S. government contracts intended for small businesses that went to large corporations in 2011, 37. Um, the estimated feat by which, the, which Hurricane Sandy shrank New Jersey's shoreline, 35. And the other interesting statistic, well, there were a number of them, but the most interesting statistic um, is year by which the United States is projected to become the world's largest producer of oil, 2011. Um, and there are some very interesting uh uh, health care statistics. Uh, the projected increase in the number of doctors in the United States health care system by 2020, 50,100. In the number of patients, 36 million. guess if you're going to uh, med school, uh, study uh, gerontology, because uh, obviously with the baby boomers aging and more hip replacements and this sort of thing, uh, this is where, obviously, there's going to be enormous growth demand. Golly, if you're a stock investor, I'd put that in my hat and consider investing in companies that make products for elderly people. Sales of those types of uh, things, hip replacements, walkers, that kind of thing, are going to go up, right? 
I think so. Um, so uh, there's a investing tip for you, the public out there. Gray Matters gives you everything. We give you a little bit of sports commentary, and we always have an interesting observation like this. Uh, estimated number of roses that the United States imports annually from Colombia and Ecuador for Valentine's Day. 184 million 830,000. Wow. That's an awful lot of roses. And, of course, uh, I dare say that there's probably an exploitative global corporation involved in the manufacture and sale of the roses in which the workers in these countries are paid very poorly and in very uh, undesirable working conditions and the profits go to the middlemen and the retail salespeople at the end of the economic chain. That might be something worth investigating, uh, in given all these problems recently with uh, garment factories in Bangladesh. The May 23rd edition of the New York Review of Books, I thought is a particularly interesting um, edition I didn't bring in the whole thing with me, but I did bring in one article that I uh, think is fascinating and certainly um, is right up the alley of gray matters regarding uh, sort of the history of the FBI, uh, our uh, federal government, the war on communism, um, and... Uh, a new book has been published. I have yet to read this book, but I have heard Seth Rosenfeld interviewed a couple of times. And the New York Review of Books <clears throat> has a review in there by Adam Hochschild. Uh, he used to be the uh, editor of Mother Jones. And Mother Jones, of course, last year broke the big story about Mitt Romney and uh, the so-called 47% who uh, Romney basically accused of of being freeloaders. Turned out 47% was uh, actually his vote total in the presidential election. Great irony there. Uh, Adam Hochschild also, uh, I, I know for a fact, wrote an excellent history of the Belgian Congo. Uh, of course, there's a civil war raging there still. Mobutu was an uh, American recipient of billions of dollars of aid during the Cold War. Uh, he was also probably involved in the uh, arrest and assassination of Patrice Lumumba uh, a couple of days before John F. Kennedy was uh, inaugurated. Uh, this uh, operation occurred under Eisenhower and has never been satisfactorily explained. Uh, the Belgian Congo, of course, uh, is now called the Congo for a brief period of time. It was called Zaire, but Hochschild's book about the history of Belgium, the Belgian Congo, uh, since it was a colony of the King Leopold, is a staggering uh, historical review of colonialism and the brutality. It's estimated that 10 million people were killed in the Belgian Congo, uh, suppressing the native population there. It was one of the bloodiest examples of colonialism in the history of human civilization. 
And, of course, the main uh, reason that the Congo, the Belgian Congo, Zaire, whatever you want to call it, was such a prized possession uh, is are the minerals there. Uh, it is estimated for the record, by the way, some stuff that I've read regarding uh, the nuclear arms race, the United States uh, nu- nuclear arsenal, which at one time exceeded over 50,000 nuclear weapons. Uh, these weapons, by the way, were placed in uh, ICBMs, interra- intermediate-range missiles. They were on submarines, and um, they were also carried around the clock on B-52s. <laughs> Dr. Strangelove is uh, closer to truth than fiction at times. Um, this, of course, was part of the so-called nuclear deterrent during the Cold War. Uh, when you go back and read some of the stuff, it's uh, almost utter madness, the whole thing. But the book by Adams Hochschild, I got off on a little tangent there, is entitled Subversives, The FBI's War on Student Radicals and Reagan's Rise to Power. Uh, this uh, book is uh, going to change the public's uh, awareness and realization and knowledge and understanding of Ronald Reagan. Um, and he's not going to come out looking like uh, uh, roses from Ecuador and Colombia. Uh, because, of course, uh, the review is mainly about uh, Hoover's, Jagger Hoover's, and Reagan's War on the President of Berkeley. So the title of the review is Berkeley, What We Didn't Know. Hochschild uh, announces in the review, he says, I was one of the um, students uh, as a greenhorn reporter at the San Francisco Chronicle. Quote, I watched firsthand the mass arrest of 773 free speech movement sit-in demonstrators in December of 1964, Ronald Reagan as governor, uh, he was elected in 66. Uh, he, his first act was firing uh, Clark Kerr. Of, uh, the, he was the chancellor of the University of California at Berkeley. And the free speech movement in Berkeley was modeled in part uh, on the SDS here at the University of Michigan. Uh, there's a, a very interesting historical connection between the, the student movements at some of the major state universities around the country and some of the private universities. I'd just say historically that the most important universities were Cal, Cal Berkeley, uh, University of Wisconsin, the University of Michigan, Columbia. Uh, those are the most conspicuous examples of the student movement and the anti-war protests, the Vietnam War teach-ins that were started uh, here in uh, Ann Arbor and the other universities that I mentioned. Uh, Fascinating stuff because, of course, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, at one time, he got his start in the government uh, working for a thing called the Bureau of Investigation. It eventually became the FBI, and it was instrumental in the Palmer raids that followed World War One. This was essentially the first Red Scare in American history. The second Red Scare, of course, uh, occurred after World War Two, and the third and fourth Red Scares were basically ongoing operations by the FBI. 
uh, in the 1950s and 1960s. Uh, the Civil Rights Movement was targeted first, and the anti-war movement next. And eventually it culminated in some rather troubling um, infiltrations of some of the uh, so-called black power movements uh, in the late 60s, in which uh, several leaders were actually targeted for assassination. The FBI, for the record, in the 1950s pretty much kept the Communist Party in business. It's estimated that a third of the members of the Communist Party were actually FBI agents attending their meetings. This is how Hoover operated, and he learned his tricks, as this review notes, from Ralph Van Diemen. Might be Demon, because uh, I'm unaware of this uh, character, but it's interesting. He uh, was a Army intelligence officer who uh, got his start uh, in surveillance and spying. He was a heavy anti-communist, but he got his start, quote, keeping an eye on Filipinos who might have the temerity to resist the long occupation of their country that ba began with the Spanish-American War. As the military intelligence chief in Manila starting in 1901, he used a web of undercover agents and the newest record-keeping technology, file cards, to track thousands of potential political dissidents. His private network of informants, and I'm quoting from Hochschild here, until his death in 1952, he kept 250,000 file cards in his house in San Diego, where they were, quote, frequently consulted by the police red squads and the FBI. Um, and he is a historical figure that I, to this point, was unaware of, uh, though I certainly know that the first example of American occupation of a foreign country uh, in defiance, to some extent, of our previously good record in that regard, regarding the so-called Monroe Doctrine, uh, in terms of war, the consequences of war, was certainly the Spanish-American War and the uh, guerrilla war that went on in uh, the Philippines for uh, 25 years. Uh, the Philippines, of course, were a Spanish colony that the United States then created into a, a major military base, uh, basically a major naval base initially, and it later became a, a major air base as well, a Subic uh, naval base was uh, crucial uh, in, for instance, the Second World War, and uh, Eventually, of course, following the fall of Marcos in the mid-1980s and the so-called Yellow Movement under Aquino, the uh, Filipino government um, disinvited us, told us uh, to get out of their country. It's interesting, there have been some reports uh, that I think are reasonably uh, provable and correct that the United States Special Forces are back in the Philippines uh, with about 600 uh, so-called, uh, well, I guess we'll charitably call them uh, counterintelligence anti-terrorist uh, operatives that are helping the 
uh, Filipino government deal with the various Muslim secessionist movements in uh, that country. The Philippines, by the way, is a kind of a combination of <clears throat> hundreds of islands, might even be thousands. I know that Indonesia has uh, up to 8,000 islands. Indonesia is an, literally an archipelago of them. But the Philippines is several hundred uh, islands. And Ambrose Bierce once uh, facetiously said that war is God's way of teaching America about geography. Um, and uh, as we see all the wars that are continuing in the world today, keep that in mind. What's very interesting about this book is that it details the close connection between Ronald Reagan and J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, Reagan was an informant for the FBI while he operated as president of the Screen Actors Guild. He actually testified before HUAC in 1947, and uh, while he uh, didn't go out of his way to name names, uh, he did regularly report gossip covertly to the FBI regarding uh, so-called Reds in Hollywood. And I think now that the this, this author, by the way, Seth Rosenfeld, had to spend $600,000 of his own money uh, filing FOIA uh, requests and suing the Department of Justice and other government agencies to get the documents that are in this book. And this sort of explains why these sort of secret histories of the United States are incredibly uh, difficult to produce. It took Seth Rosenfeld 30 years to get all the information that he needed to write this book. And this relationship between Hoover and Reagan, I believe, is more troubling than we've realized. It's interesting to note in 1965, for instance, that the FBI uh, spied on Reagan's two, uh, two uh, children. Maureen uh, Reagan was uh, the daughter of um, Reagan's first wife, and Michael Reagan was uh, adopted. Very interesting. Jane Wyman was Ronald Reagan's first wife, and then Ron Reagan Jr. and Patty Davis were the children of Ron Reagan and Nancy Davis Reagan. I'd like to thank Andrew for engineering this evening. You are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Uh, looks like Yazoo City Calling will be coming up shortly. Uh, so I highly recommend this uh, particular edition of the New York Review of Books. That's the 23rd of May, most recent edition. It's got several really good articles in it. But this um, story of Ronald Reagan, J. Edgar Hoover, and Clark Kerr is fascinating um, because, of course, Reagan was able to launch his political career uh, in, a, in a sort of uh, politically tactical way by denouncing anti-war protesters and denouncing radical students. Uh, he used to have a joke about hippies that I'll save for another show, but it's uh, typical of Ronald Reagan's uh, lame sense of humor. It involves uh, Tarzan, Jane, and Cheetah. <laughs> well, I'll tell that joke uh, some other time. But uh, the, 
review reports that Reagan began trading uh, information with the FBI about alleged communists and radicals dating back to his uh, days as president of the Screen Actors Guild in the 1940s and continued to feed the Bureau political gossip. After 